Good morning. It's Friday, May 6th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. I am your host, Lance Glenn. We are in the month of May, a little bit of a slow time in the college football world, and of course, knock on wood. But I wanted to let you know that we have some great episodes upcoming on the College Football Daily. So make sure to rate, review us, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Keep track of all the episodes we have coming up. On today's episode, I'll be joined by Maryland head coach Mike Loxley. And during his fourth season with the Terps, he was able to get over the hump last year, made the pinstripe bowl, and just really blew out Virginia Tech. They definitely had some transfer portal attrition, but I think most importantly for them, they bring back starting quarterback Taulia Tagovailoa, who really took the next step for them last season. So joining me now is the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins, Mike Loxley. Coach, how are we doing? Thanks so much for giving me some time today. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on, Lance. So coach, first off, congratulations. You obviously uh, just signed a big extension, taking you through, I think, 2026 with the possibility of an added couple of years at the end, if I'm correct with the details. You know, what does this extension say about Maryland's commitment to football and providing your program with the, uh, the resources to succeed? And what drew you to, I guess, wanting to stay in College Park long term and continue building the program? Yeah, you know, I think the extension is a reflection that uh, obviously the Powers that be here, my boss, Damon Evans, our president, Daryl Pines, Dr. Pines and Damon have been very supportive of, of the program and, and the things we're doing as we try to build and establish uh, Maryland football back in, in college, in, in the college ranks. It's great to know that I'll have the ability to stay here at home. You know, when people talk about uh, the extension and, and, and the years involved with it, for me, um, as I said, when I took this job, this wasn't a, a stepping stone job for me. I'm hoping to make this a destination where I end my career. I've been in this business over 30 years now. And so to be here at home uh, in the backyard of where I grew up in, my family's all from here. Uh, I grew up a Turk fan. So it's a win-win for me to have the ability to know that I'll be able to continue to lead the charge here of the program I grew up a fan of. So your program, you know, they were you were able to, I guess, get the proverbial monkey off your back last season, right? You broke through for the first time since 2016. You made a bowl game. You really blew out Virginia Tech in the pinstripe bowl for the program's first bowl win since 2010. I would think that removing the burden of not making a bowl game is something that could help lead to greater success in the future because, frankly, the gained experience that the players got, you know, they know now what it's like to feel the high of making a bowl, uh, what those extra practices are like, what they just whole experience is, is all about. Would you agree that achieving this goal of making a bowl game well, I'm sure you obviously have bigger ones. Achieving this could kind of have a positive carryover effect into future seasons, or are you looking at it as it was just 2021 was great and making a bowl was awesome, but 2022 is new and kind of whatever happened in the past is in the past? Yeah, you know, it's more of the latter for me. Obviously, the goal is to become a team that consistently goes to bowl games. And I do agree that when you have an opportunity like our young players in this program had to go to a bowl game, uh, have success win the game and do things the right way that it does basically kind of validate the things we talk about uh, as a program that if you take care of things on the front end, good things happen on the back end, like going to bowls and having success. But I think for us as the type of program that we're developing and, and how we're setting our culture, you know, that was last year and the, the, the 22 season will be a new version or iteration of, of the, the Maryland football family for 2022. And, you know, once that bowl game is over, it has no bearing on what happens in the future other than the consistency that we showed in terms of, uh, of our process to get to the bowl game. And to me, that's where all of our efforts lie is to continue to kind of get that consistency with our standard for how we do business. And if you take care of that part of it, um, the bowl games will come. And, and that's what we'll continue to try to do. And, and I'm curious, as a coach, do you see the game as the 
bigger part of the whole experience or do you view it or do you view the extra practices as the bigger part of it? You know, I'm always curious, is it, is it the game? You know, obviously for the seniors, that's great. You get to play in a bowl game. Awesome. But I would think for your program long-term, those extra 15 or so practices are, are pretty worthwhile. Yeah, it's the extra practices for me as a coach because we're still in the developmental phase of building this program and creating a foundation. And those 14, 15 extra practices, I mean, it's like the rich get richer. And that's why you want to get your program into that cycle where you continue to develop. And we saw a bunch of our young players that we were intentional in how we saved the, the use of the four games to be able to keep the redshirt year. But but we played a lot of freshmen in that game and they played significant minutes and, and did some significant things to help us accomplish the goal in the bowl game. And, and to me, those 15 practices are so crucial. Now for the players, it's obviously the culmination of, of, of a reward for the work that they put in it. So not to discount that it's important for the players and especially the way the landscape of college football has changed. I think that type of reward, going to nice bowl games, being rewarded with good gifts and, you know, the pinstripe bowl did a tremendous job with how they put that bowl on. Uh, I think for our players, it, they're eager to kind of get back to that that year in and year out. But for me, it's those 14, 15 extra practices that will benefit us more than even going to the bowl. And, you know, look, I'm a New Jersey, New York uh, guy. Well, I'm in New Jersey, but obviously I'm a big Yankee fan. Um, and, and the pinch bowl being at Yankee Stadium, I know obviously not a traditional football stadium, but it still has a kind of aura around it. Did your players kind of enjoy that experience of being able to play at Yankee Stadium, going to New York City, really experiencing all of that? I'm sure that must be special. And I'm sure there are probably some that maybe had never been to Yankee Stadium before, maybe even never been to New York City before. Yeah, there's no doubt that the experience of going to New York for Christmas uh, with obviously it being a three and a half hour trip from home for us, uh, the fan base of, of, of the of Turp Nation is all up and down that corridor from you know Connecticut down through Virginia, all able to come take part in, in the game and the festivities. For our players, you know, playing a historic Yankee Stadium, I know for some of the guys we have in our team that's from that area, it was definitely special for me, a long time, you know, fan of baseball. And obviously I'm a hometown guy and the rivalry between the, the Orioles and the Yankees. We're still big Oriole fans down here, but the prestige of playing in such a historic, historical landmark place like Yankee Stadium is something that I think our players will, will, will remember and, and cherish that opportunity. Yeah, Coach Orioles, Orioles over the Nats. No Nats for you? Well, I'm a Nats fan because of my D.C. ties. And, and, you know, for years we didn't have the Nats. So much like uh, the Commanders and the Ravens, you know, I, I grew up everything D.C., the, the Bullets or Wizards, the Commanders, or, as well as now the Nats being back. So huge, huge DMV fan of, of all things D.C., but definitely uh, lots of love for our brethren up north in Baltimore, uh, the Orioles, as well as the Ravens. You know, so you, you can't you can't not love both. So you mentioned uh, that the college football landscape is kind of changing. And uh, one of the big changes is obviously the transfer portal. And your program's kind of dealt with uh, sort of a mixed bag when it comes to transfers in and out. And, and that's not a slight towards Maryland or yourself. The program is not unique in that sense. You know, so many programs have been dealing with attrition and addition from the transfer portal. And a lot of coaches this offseason, this offseason, excuse me, have spoken out about it, whether they like it or not. And, and I'll just ask you bluntly, what are your thoughts about it? You know, do you think Things need to be changed with it as a coach of a program who's dealt with the portal, both having players leave and bringing them in. You know, what's just your overall thoughts about the transfer portal? Well, I think the first thought is just like you said, we all are dealing with it. Every pro every program uh, that plays major college football, um, obviously you do have a gap between the haves and have nots. But for me, I'm a big believer it giveth and it taketh away. And we've experienced both here at Maryland 
Uh, I have no problem with the transfer portal, how it's set up. Um, are there some guardrails that can be put in, placed upon it to allow us to do a better job of managing our rosters? That's, to me, the toughest thing as a, a head coach is that when a guy leaves before spring ball or during spring ball and you've already signed your allotment of how many initials you can bring in, I think, you know, it, it changes things. And now you, you start worrying about player safety because all of a sudden you don't have enough players at certain positions. And so I'd like to see, obviously, a little bit of guidance there um, to, to create some timetable as the when kids can take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, but no, I have no problem whatsoever with, with the transfer portal, how it works. Would like to see us kind of maybe put some dates on it that allows us to manage our rosters a little easier as head coaches. And really, I can ask you the same thing about NIL, because obviously that's been in the news over the last couple of days for a variety of reasons. But what are your thoughts on NIL? Do you think that like the transfer portal, there needs to be some safeguards or some rules in play as opposed to what it is now, where it's kind of just everyone, you know, yeah. for yourself? It's a, it's the wild, wild west right now. And, and you know, I do know that uh, the NIL piece has affected, you know, even even us, and it affects everybody because uh, it's created free agency without salary caps, without deadlines for movement. And again, just like the transfer portal, I do think there's some guardrails that need to be placed within the NIL piece to ensure that, that, that the integrity of it is being executed the way it was intended. You know, right now, there's no doubt that there's poaching and portaling and all the other things you want to call it. Um, and, and I think the biggest one is obviously players recruiting other players, recruiting their friends. And, and that's, you know, an area that hasn't been given any type of guidance or guardrails for it. So, no, I, I do believe that it, it, it is does need to have some guardrails put in place to, to ensure that the integrity of how it was created is being executed that way. But I do believe the kids deserve to take advantage of their name, image, likeness, their brand. Um, a, a great big proponent for that is just let's figure out how to do it to where uh, it's been done with the integrity. We'll hear more from Maryland head coach Mike Loxley when we come back. Joined by Maryland head coach Mike Loxley, you know, one player who you do bring back, Talia Tagovailoa, who I think took a huge step forward this past season. You know, it's interesting. I was checking out his game by game numbers last year, and there was a difference in his turnover numbers in wins compared to losses. You know, I think that in the seven wins through one interception in the six losses through 10. Now, of course, these losses were against, you know, college football playoff contenders, right? Not just some lower level opponents. So it's not like he was having the, these turnovers against bad teams, essentially. But in order to obviously pull off an upset, those turnovers and I'm sure you'd agree they, they just can't happen. So in regards to Taulia, where did you see him take the biggest steps last season and how can he improve this season to give your team, I guess, an even better chance of pulling off an upset or notching a big win? Yeah, you know, I think it's important. And I'm, I'm a huge Taulia Tungavailoa fan, obviously, as his coach and having known the kids since ninth grade, that we put that asterisk around kind of the six losses, the 10, because he threw five in one game. And to me, that's an anomaly. And that's one of those deals where, you know, he lost his top receiver. Uh, I think he struggled four of them in one quarter right after losing the receiver, maybe pressed a little bit. But um, when you look, at, look, take a deeper dive into his numbers, he played pretty well for us, except for a quarter of football um, there against Iowa. And, and I'll stand on that. You know, he broke some records here of some great quarterbacks that played here at Maryland. Uh, NFL caliber guys, the Boomer Esiason, the Frank Reichs, the Neil O'Donnells, the Stan Gelbaugh, Scott Zolak, all these quarterbacks that came through here and he leaves here with the, the best single season percentage and, and record of, of any of the quarterbacks that played here at Maryland and had great success. And not to take away from our 
past players either, but to add context that I do feel he took a huge step forward for us, uh, minus the, the second quarter of the Iowa game where we, again, as I said, it's an anomaly in it to his stats. I think what Leah needs to do to take the next step is what we all have to do in our program, and that's to find the consistency of how we prepare and, and our process and our standard. Um, you know, one of the things that I've talked to Leah about to taking the next step for him is, you know, he's, he's tougher on himself than any of us could ever be. And I think as a quarterback that your emotional level needs to stay really consistent and your highs can't be too high and your lows can't be too low. And we got to get back, uh, in the words of the late Trevor Moad, back to neutral and, and stay there as a leader and as a quarterback. And, and Leah is one of those guys that he misses a throw, if he has a bad play, he tends to let it kind of linger on. And we want him to have a shorter memory with those things, positive talk to himself instead of the negative talk. And as he takes that next step from a mental standpoint, I think you'll see him continue to uh, be one of the better quarterbacks in college football. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of Talia Tagovailo. I think he'd have a big future at Maryland this season. And if he decides to go off to yeah. the NFL, uh, I think a big future uh, in the pros as well. So, you know, I had Greg Schiano on the podcast two weeks ago, and obviously your two programs in similar spots, you joined the conference together. You both made a bowl last season. He's entering year three, you're entering year four. And I asked him this question. I'm curious your response. As you do enter year four this fall, how does Maryland get to the level of being able to not only compete with, but, but beat teams like Michigan, Ohio State? Penn State, Michigan State on a consistent basis and move to that, let's say, upper echelon of the Big Ten East? Well, I think it starts, and any of us understands this, it starts with the culture of your program. And for us, it's it's recruiting. We got to go out and get the same type of players that we're going to face, which we've been able to do. Uh, we've got to be able to keep them here and, and then obviously play within the rules of the NIL world, the transfer portal, the immediate eligibility rule uh, rules that are in place. But to me, it's it, it starts and ends with recruiting and, and getting the type of players into the program that fits your culture and being really clear with, with the type of standard that you're setting within your program. I feel like we're doing that. We're on track. Uh, we're getting the right kind of kids. And now, uh, you know, we've got to kind of navigate this new world and this new landscape that's being created with NIL and Transfer Portal, which now allows our supporters and fans to get involved. That if you want to win championships, you have an opportunity now through NIL to, to have an immediate impact on the programs you love by, you know, supporting the, the brands and the name, image and likeness of the players that, that we're trying to bring into our program. And we can't use it for recruiting, but I do definitely think that where we're located here in the DMV area bodes very well that if you know we all work together to come up with a, a, a plan to 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 be able to to maximize the use of these things that uh, players are looking for that the future looks bright for Maryland and coach a couple more for me you know I really really like your receiving core heading into the season. Uh, you obviously brought in Jacob Copeland from the transfer portal. Uh, Rakeem Jarrett's obviously back and, and he's, a, I think, a star. Dante Demas returning from injury. How's first Dante progressing from that injury? Um, and what's really stood out to you about how this receiving core has progressed from last season to this offseason and spring? And what are your expectations of this group heading into next year? Yeah, you know, Dante's coming along on track and, and it was good to see him doing some things here this spring. Has spent most of the spring serving kind of as a student assistant coach, helping some of the younger players in our program to keep him involved. But we're pleased with the progress he's making uh, in terms of uh, recovering from his injury. Um, the receiver room, like you said, again, it will be the, one of the strengths of our team, if not the strength of our team. And, and one of the best things I think that's come out of it is, you know, if there's a silver lining with not having the Dante Demases, the Jay Sean Jones, Rakim Jarrett, Marcus Fleming available 
available this spring for, you know, full participation is that we've been able to develop the Jacob Copelands and the Ty Feltons and Corey Deitches among our programs where these guys now have gotten a lot of reps this spring uh, within the systems as well as developing the necessary chemistry with Leah to be able to have success uh, coming up this season. So coach, last one for me, and this is more of a, I guess, a personal question than it is a team related one. So the amount of opportunities for African-American head coaches in the NFL is obviously a problem. Uh, You know, I I think there's more of an opportunity in college, but I still think not enough. You know, as a black head coach, do you feel pressure being in the position you're in to help develop minority head coaches and kind of give guys the opportunity to come through the ranks and hopefully reach the level that you're currently at? There's no doubt about there's a responsibility being, you know, one of the 14 minority coaches in, in major college football. Obviously, as you said, the NFL numbers are, are, are very similar to the college game. I think they both aren't where they should be or need to be. And we all can agree to that. Uh, and I do think there's a responsibility with me having the opportunity to lead a program like the University of Maryland that I utilize that platform to leave it, leave the future better to pay it forward. And I've tried to do that with the, the creation of the National Coalition of Minority Football Coaches, uh, an organization that's here as an ally to minority coaches, which aren't just black. It could be women uh, and all minorities uh, in the in the game of football as coaches. Uh, we've got our convention coming up in Atlanta, uh, finally able to do it in person. Our national convention uh, will be down in Atlanta uh, Memorial Day weekend. We're looking forward to continuing our mission, which is to prepare, uh, promote, and produce the next level of minority coaches in all levels of football. And uh, the organization, though young, has been uh, very uh, involved in the hiring processes and will continue to, to fight and be advocates for minority coaches at all levels. The Terps open up the season at home on September 3rd against Buffalo as they look to make it two straight years of bowl eligibility. Coach Loxley, thanks so much for coming on and taking some time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Lance. Appreciate you having me on. Big thanks to Maryland head coach Mike Loxley for coming on the College Football Daily podcast. You know, I'm really interested to see how high Maryland can get this season with a favorable schedule, but of course, in an always loaded Big Ten East. For Mike Loxley, I am Lance Glenn. I want to wish all the mothers an early happy Mother's Day. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. And thanks for listening to the College Football Daily. Football Daily.